Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Last week, we began with a fundamental truth. You and I are marked by God. Let me say it again. A fundamental truth. So that means it doesn't really matter if you push it away, push it down, push it aside. You and I have been marked by God. Now, whatever you want to do with it, that's your choice. It doesn't change the fact of what God's truth says and what his promise is. We preached on the fact a few weeks ago, there is a heaven, there is a hell, something I think in this country we don't like to talk about, but listen again, it doesn't change, whatever you choose to want to believe, it doesn't change the truth of what is. We have been marked by God. The question is, what are you doing with it? See, everything in our lives, don't miss this, everything in our lives, everything that you will go through, everything that you've been through, you ready for this? Don't miss this. Becomes a part of God's eternal story that he is writing for his life. Let me say it another way. He's not writing our story. He's writing his story. I think this is why we have a problem, why we struggle a little bit in our faith, why we react to moments, why we, if you will, push people away, hold on to things we shouldn't hold on to. We think he's writing our story, but it's not our story. It's his story because it's his story is really the only story that matters, right? Because see, he knows the plans he has for us. He knows that his plans will give us a future and hope. He knows our plans are all dope. <laughs> okay, whatever. Okay, that wasn't in my notes, but it just, okay. All right. You know, some of you might be thinking things aren't working out. I know there's people that this happens to quite often. They look at their life and they'll come and say, Pastor, listen, I know he's a loving God, but I don't get this. Where is he? Or they're frustrated or they're angry, disappointed. For a moment, I'm just going to walk away. And you're thinking, I don't get it. Things aren't working out. But when you get this, that you are marked, when you understand that he's writing his story, not your story, it doesn't matter if it appears, because that's all it is in appearance. It doesn't matter if it appears like it's not working out. Who cares? You know why? Because the Bible says he takes all things and works them for the good. So here's the deal. That's why if you really understand what it means to be marked, you don't get caught up in what's not working out because you're all wrapped up in who's working within. This is what Paul said. Look at the screen if you would. When Paul said in Romans 8, what shall we say about these wonderful things? I want to pause there for a moment. What do we say about these wonderful things? And we're thinking right away, because this is the problem with Scripture. So many people are always quoting a Scripture, but they're taking it out of context. 
What is Paul talking about when he sees these wonderful things? Because I hear it in the church, people walk up and go, oh man, God is so good. Like we were struggling financially and we went out to the mailbox and the check was in the mail, exactly the price we needed. It was unbelievable. Pastor, you should know God really works. We prayed. And our wayward child, they, they called us. And they're wanting to get together. God, he's such a wonderful God. Pastor, I got to tell you, our, our, my marriage was coming apart. We're dating and falling in love with each other again. See, those are the wonderful things we like to talk about. But when I hear people who are frustrated, they walk up and go, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. I went in and the boss told, told me I, I no longer have a job. We're stressed out. We're frustrated. I don't understand. Okay, those are the wonderful things Paul's talking about. See, Paul understands what it means to be marked. Paul understands that it doesn't matter what you go through. It's temporal at best because God wins always in the end. So he's literally saying, you know, what, I, what do I tell you about these wonderful things? You know, uh, I, by the way, those wonderful things, um, I was beaten, dragged out of town, left for dead. What do I tell you about that wonderful thing? Like the ship went down, I was treading water for four days. Now what do I say about that wonderful thing? Watch what he says. So what can I say about all these wonderful things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look what he says. Since he did not spare even his own son. Think about that. I don't think we even understand again about this gift called Christmas and this gift called Christ and the gift called the cross. Notice they're all, all beginning with a C. I wonder even about that, right? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? I mean, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Look what he says. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Despite all these things, this is in the actual literal translation. Overwhelming victory is ours. Game over. This isn't like the Chiefs game last week, folks. You know, goes into overtime. There's no overtime with God's team. That sucker's over when the ball's kicked into the air. You just as well take off your starting team if you're the opponent because you're going to get your butt kicked. Overwhelming victory, he says, is ours through Christ who loves us. Then it gets personal again. Thus, I am convinced that nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love. My question is, are you? Would your friends and family say, he's convinced, she's convinced. For those who work at your work, whether you work for someone or others work for you, would they go, man, they're convinced. So that's really the fundamental question. Today's message is simply this. Did you check the price? Because if you're marked, it's going to cost you something. 
I guarantee you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke 14. Luke 14. And by the way, Jesus is talking here again. I just like it when Jesus is talking. Because when Jesus is speaking, I think we ought to be listening, right? Because this is something really important. See, I think we should be listening at all of God's word in Scripture because despite the fact that some people might have wrote it, human beings, I believe with all my heart, I'm fully convinced that God's Spirit was guiding. And their pen was just writing because the Spirit was speaking. Believe with all my heart. Did you check the price? Did you check the price? So I'm in Luke 14. I'm going to begin in the 25th verse. And I want you to understand this first verse is the most important part of the entire text. Over and over, I mean, I've been reading the Bible and going back through the Gospels right now. And I'm going through Luke and there's already been four things that I've never seen before. And I feel like I read the Bible all the time. But God's just jumping out at me. And this is one of those moments. Luke 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. Not too often we, we push that aside. I'm like, why would that be so important? Who cares? What's Jesus going to say? But who Jesus is talking to is significant to what he's going to say. So who's following Jesus? What did the Bible just say? Okay, watch this. A crowd is following him, not his disciples. He, he's going to talk to the fans in the stands, not the players in the field on the game. And there's a big difference between a fan and a follower, people. Huge difference. Huge difference. Large crowd was following Jesus, not his disciples. And he turns around to them. And he says, if you want to be my disciple, by the way, because that's what he wants us to be. I'm going to show you he's not interested in you being a fan. He wants you following so Jesus is about to draw a line between what it means to be a fan in the stands and what it means to be a player on the field, a player in the game. Maybe another way is to say it this way. You're either going to sit in the stands drunk with beer or you get the joy and privilege to be on the sidelines doused with Gatorade. See, I, I'm telling you, this is personal to me. I know what it's like to play at least at the Division I level for a little bit. I know what it's like to be in, on the field. Experience what so many people don't get to experience when they, you start listening to that commercial of how many athletes after high school even get to go to college and play in the game. And to feel that privilege to know what it's like to be one of those 1% of 1%. And yet I didn't even get to be the 1% of that 1% of 1% who gets to play today. And yet how many people, something good goes on, they act like they had something to do with it. Yeah, bam, move, oh, smack them on the butt. New old men, you know, wouldn't touch each other, but they're best friends. You know what I'm talking about? They had, like, they had something to do with it. And so somehow, Mahomes are going to say, oh, thank you. That would not have happened for you. <laughs> you know, go have another beer. You know what I mean? I mean, think about it. 
And yet when something goes wrong, how quickly they have an opinion that somehow if they'd have done it my way, we'd probably win the game. Well, there's a reason why you're not on the field. And they are, because it's just an opinion. And whether you like this or not, for the most part, you have no idea what you're talking about. You read it, you've just never experienced it. And so those same people that think that they're apart, they sit in the stands, but when their team is losing, how quickly toward the end they're leaving the game. Players on the field aren't. But the fans are. And all the way out, they're talking about why we're leaving early and how their team stinks. So I've seen it. I've watched it when it comes to the Vikings. <laughs> Bad example. <laughs> But today, some games will be played out. And I'm convinced of this, whether you'll ever admit it, most people will be watching. And somewhere in the back, even if they've lost it, they're thinking, what would it be like to be Patrick Mahomes? What would it be like to have been Tom Brady? What would it have been like to be able to be there, see what they see, feel what they feel, despite the fact that they might even lose this game? Wow. I think this is what Jesus is trying to help us with. Because it's a lot like the church, isn't it? 80,000 people sitting in the stands badly need exercise, watching 22 people who desperately need rest. And there's a lot of people, I think, when it comes to the church, sit in the crowd. But Jesus says, I want you in the game. Did you know statistics tell us 78% of U.S. American citizens, 78% right now say they follow Jesus. 78% say they follow Jesus. Think about that. That's 257 million people in a country of 329 people say, I'm a follower of Christ. But I think we'd all agree there's a big difference about someone talking and someone walking, right? By the way, you do what you want with this. Let me get it more personal. I think there's a lot of people who, who are married, but they don't have no clue what it means to be married. I think there's a lot of guys who are dads, but they have no clue what it means to be a dad. Because they don't understand what it means to be in the game. To experience it. So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, he's talking to the crowd, not the disciples. He's talking to those sitting in the stand saying, listen, you can be on the field. It's a cool thing. I want you on the field. I'm going to do things you can't imagine. But they're not going to happen in the stands. Those are called fantasies. But it becomes the dream when you're out with blood, sweat, and tears. Experiencing what I want you to experience. You want to be my follower? You ready for this? Watch this. It's going to get literally painful. Luke 14. Here we are. Look what he says. Verse 26. You want to be my disciple then? Well, by comparison, you're to hate everyone. 
Now, when I read that and I think of 78% Americans say they're following Jesus, I'm like, yeah, we are, man. You know, I, mean, I had a bunch of those people hate everyone to meet me on the church, man. Drive by me, they flipping me off. I'm just like, yeah, follow Jesus, man. You know, because they're like actually like they hate everything. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, by comparison, I want you to hate everyone. And I'm like, what? When you read this, like, what? I want you to hate everyone, father, mother, wife, child, brother, sister, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, Jesus speaking, say it with me nice and loud, you cannot be my disciple. You're like, what? Really, Jesus? Like, you want me to hate my dad? And he says, yeah, I do. Because see, when you understand what I'm saying, and you love me as your dad, now I can show you what it means to be a true godly son. You want me to hate my wife, Kay? Yeah, yeah, I do. Because when you love me first, I'm going to show you what it means to be a godly husband. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Because you don't understand what I have for you. Well, you can settle for what you think, but you're missing so much more. I mean, a simple thing, if we want to talk about riches, you don't understand America's in trouble and you were the answer. What do you mean I was the answer? I made you a billionaire. But if you would have actually given that to me, I was going to make you a multi-trillionaire and I was going to have you write the check and pay off the national debt and let everybody know you did it because Jesus told you to. But you settled for a few billion. We have no idea what God wants for us because we settle for so much less. He's trying to flip the script and help us understand what it means to be fully understood and completely committed to him. He goes on to say in verse 27, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, finish with me, you cannot be my disciple. What? Verse 28, so don't begin until you count the cost. In other words, the title of the message. Did you check the price? There's a cost to this thing of being marked. But then he goes on. He says, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone will laugh at you. I wonder how many people laugh at the church today. Verse 30, they would say, there's a person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? I love this story because I think it's really cool. You got a general who's looking at the odds coming against him and, and he thinks he can win. I like it. But he says in verse 32, if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. And here it comes again the third time. Third time. So you cannot become my disciple 
without giving up everything you own. Everything. Three times you cannot be my disciple unless. Let me just say this. There is a price to this life called Christianity. There is a price to this life called Christianity. Say it with me. There is a price to this life called Christianity. You see, the Bible says when it comes to salvation, God wants everybody to be saved, right? He wants everybody to come. But it's crystal clear that Jesus is helping us understand when you come, I'm not okay with you sitting in the stands. I want you on the field. I want you in the game. Jesus is obviously not impressed with crowds following him as a fan. He turns and says, hey, I got something bigger than you'll ever understand. I want you to live for something more than just your own self. I want to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Now, I'm going to give you those three things because there's a cost looking at those three things that Jesus said. But I I don't want you to miss this because it's really important. The builder and the king in the story are not us. Jesus isn't saying... Who would go build something without looking at the blueprints, figuring out what it's going to cost before he'd ever start building? He's not talking to us. The builder and the king in the story is Jesus himself. And what he's saying is this. If I'm going to build something, I want the best material. I'm going to look around. And I'm going to ask myself, who's in the stands and who wants to be on the field? If I'm going to go to battle, I want to make sure I go to battle with the best, the well-seasoned soldier. Here's my question. Are you that material? And are you one of those soldiers that God can build with and that he can go to battle with? Again, remember at the beginning? We're all marked. It's a fundamental truth. What you do with it doesn't change that fact. That's your choice. I hope I can help you with that choice. Amen to that? All right, so what are the costs? Here's the first one. Why don't you write it in? Being marked will cost you your plans. Say it with me. Being marked will cost you your plans. I'm going to pause for a moment because I want to do something here. I've actually never really said this before in, in these ways. But when we ask you to repeat something, I always wonder. Now, you need to know something. I can't see you. I'm almost fearful to tell you that. Because some of you are going, oh, dear Lord, I could have been sleeping every doggone weekend. (laughs) Make my wife or my, my husband happy. But here's the deal. You could. I can't see you. Many of you might remember years ago, I used to have reading glasses up here. Because I'd put my contacts in so I could see you. But then I can't see my notes. I wear glasses so I can see afar. When they're off, everything up up close is crystal clear. And when I was watching myself, when I'd put the glasses on and then I'd take them off, I was like, man, I look like an idiot. You know what I mean? So now I watch myself and I just, I'm still an idiot, but, but here's the deal is it's much easier now. So I preach without my glasses on, but you're all blurry. Like I, that's, is that Neil? Is that Neil right there? See, I can see it and I know Neil cause we're close enough. 
And also know that Neil had surgery. And here he is right now. He had his completely shoulder replaced, weren't you? All that stuff. He was like Iron Man now, right? So you're already Iron Man before then. But I can see that. But, but I'm trusting it, but I had to ask because I'm not sure, but I'm like, I know him well enough and I know his figure well enough and that. But you're, you're like blurry. So all of you that have been writing me, and you write me saying, you were, you were looking right at me, talking to me, weren't you? <laughs> like, I don't even, okay, yeah. You know, you know, I can't see you. So when I ask you to repeat after me, I don't see your lips moving, all right? I'm just listening. But here's a thought. I only ask it to, to, for this reason. My dad always said something. He said, you know, a church that takes its city and that impacts its community is a church where its people pray all week that God would give the message he wants to their pastor. And when they walk in their doors, they believe that God answered that prayer. And they come hungry. And so when we ask you to repeat, I'm just wondering, is our heart just saying it? <laughs> or is our heart going, I need to say this, God, because you're going to speak to me because I've been praying all week. That God, you're going to give me a message. I just posed that for a thought. Being marked will cost you your plans. And we all have them, don't we? Come on. Dreams, hopes, wants, desires. We all have them. Now, you might have lost yours. And I'm saddened. I'm saddened that you've lost that love and feeling. Okay? Like the unrighteous brothers. All right? I'm, or is it the righteous brothers? Okay, anyway. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. And you've given up on it. You've sort of kind of tabled your life of Christ into status quo. I'm saddened for that. But here's what I do know. You have dreams. You had them. I've had them. All my life when I was a little kid, I had little dreams going up in Nebraska. And as I got older, those dreams changed, but I had new dreams. And even when I gave my life to Jesus, man, I had dreams. Like, man, I'm going to change the world. Now, I say all that because I want you to listen very, very carefully. Because being Mark is going to cost you your plans. You ready for this? Watch this. You might think this is funny, but I'll repeat it because I don't want you to miss it. Living in Sioux Falls was never one of my dreams. Think about that. Pastoring a church in Sioux Falls was never on my radar. And I'm not trying to say this to bring attention to me. I'm just saying, what if I would not have died to my plans? And what if I would have never moved to Sioux Falls? I had no idea what God was going to do. It was not even on the radar three months before I moved here. I had no idea. I really thought what God was going to do was a whole different direction. And that's why I tell you I love buts. <laughs> but God, when you understand being Mark cost you your plans because his plans are so much better. They're so much greater. See, when the Bible says, watch this, when the Bible says that God gives us the desires of our hearts, some of you probably heard that in Psalm 37. So many people have quoted it. The only problem is they misquote it every time. Well, doesn't the Bible say that God will give you desires? No, it doesn't say that. You know what it says? The first part, the first part, those who delight themselves in the Lord, God will give you the desires of their heart. 
when I learn to hate my plans and I'm delighting in him, I get these new plans that are always better than my plans. But too many of us, I think when we come to the Lord, we take our plans and we say, God bless these. Now, please hear this. I think we're pretty awesome people. But I think sometimes God looked at my plans and went, huh? Like, you want that? Like, that's, that's what you want. But he who can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask, think, or imagine. And when we delight in him, see, that's what he's trying to get when he says, by comparison, hate everything, even your own life. Watch this. Watch this. My plans I had, I thought were great. But by comparison, you see how that works? I I want you to consider the cost, Keith. You want to be my disciple? I know you got plans and they're great plans. But I want you to hate them so much by comparison that you would delight in me because by comparison, my plans. I got to tell you, whatever I've lost in Christ, I have gained beyond anything I could even really speak to. He's an awesome God. Amen? Amen. Folks, being Mark will cost you your plans. That's an awesome cost, right? (laughs) Here's number two. Being Mark will cost you your patterns. See, accepting God's plan is one thing, but trying to hold on to your plans is another. Come on, let's just admit this, right? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, whoever is a true follower in Christ is a new creation. This is what he said. You're a follower, then you're a new creation. Here's what he says. Their old way of living has disappeared. His way of living has come into existence. And what I've discovered in the church is many people in the church, because I've been there, people, and probably in some ways still there, because God continues to show me things I need to surrender. But when I look around at the church today, so many people, their old patterns are what are costing them. You're asking, where's God? And God's going, man, where's you? Let's be honest. We like to hold on to some things. We just don't want to admit it. True? Every one of us has the same problem. (laughs) You know what it is? Control. We're control freaks. Who's a control freak? Oh, look around. Hands up. Y'all ready for this? Okay. Dude just just ended his marriage. What an idiot. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And do you know why he said that? Because he's a control freak. You know what I mean? <laughs> Folks, I'm just being honest. We're control freaks. Some of you are going, well, I ain't raising my hand. <laughs> Busted. And then there's people that get mad. They don't like somebody say they're going to get walk out the door. Why? I'm not a control freak. <laughs> control freak. We're control freaks. Every argument in your marriage, control. Every sin in your life, control. Every struggle we have is because we think we know. And no one else does, because that's what's going on. Well, I don't agree with you, Pastor. Right, because you know. 
It's just who we are. We're control freaks, people. Admit it. Admit it. Admit it. We all need to raise your hand. I'm not beating you. I want to say it. I'm just saying the obvious. Okay? Because here's the deal is, Keith Lloyd doesn't mind giving up some areas to God. In fact, they're quite easy. It's just those certain ones. Anybody with me? Yeah. I'm like, really, God? You know, <laughs> you know I, I'm reading your word. I might know what I'm doing. He's like, yeah, good luck with that one, bro. You know? Folks, you'll never really experience what God has for you if you don't understand this, if you're not willing to admit it. He's looking for total surrender, not partial. This is why he uses the strong language that he does. You must hate by comparison. We want to control. It's what I struggle as a parent. I want to control. It's when I struggle with my marriage because I want to control. It's when I struggle as a pastor because I want to control. And every one of us, if we'd stop for a moment, go, that's really the issue. God knows it. He's mad at you. He's not down on you. He's not trying to beat you. That's why we need Jesus. We need a savior from ourselves, right? Because we're on this highway that's not good. And the key to getting on the off-ramp of Jesus is admitting, you know, it's, it, it's time to put this car in autopilot. And the moment we take our hands off the wheel, you know what's going to happen? It's going to veer right. And it's going to go right up on an off-ramp. Because he knows what we need. He knows. He's not, by the way, using that illustration, there's nowhere in the Bible that God will ever get in your car unless he's driving it. Like so much like my wife, but we won't go there, okay? <laughs> but if you see me drive, everybody would say, amen, okay? But this is why he says, by comparison, hate, hate, even your own life, because it's our patterns that keep us paralyzed in the same spot. It's like standing somewhere and then you nail one foot to the floor. Hold on to that. And your kid says, hey, dad, I'm playing. Can you come? Man, I'd love to, but man, I've got some work to do. I've got some stuff I have to get done first. How come, how come you don't tell me you love me anymore? How come we're not holding hands? How come we don't date? I love you. I love, yeah, we need to get back at that. <laughs> you know what? And then I realized we did. We're the ones that actually nailed our foot to the floor. You know why we do it? Control. We're so afraid of what we might lose, what we think we know, and yet I'm saddened at how much we sacrificed we could have gained. We've got to surrender the patterns. So what is that pattern that you're holding on to? Maybe no one even knows about it. You don't speak about it. You know it's there. God knows it's there. What is that one that you need to let go of? Here's number three. Being marked will cost you your pleasure. Say that with me. Being marked will cost you your pleasure. This one's going to get a little uncomfortable, and there's a reason why, because following Jesus is never about making us feel good. Following Jesus is never about comfortable. It's never about comfortable. And that's going to chafe us. It's going to be a little hard because we live in a country. It's all about comfortable. Jesus even said himself, by the way, Jesus said it in Mark. He says this, for even the son of man, me, did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus himself came to give. Not what I get, but to give my life away. And that's what he says. And I want to help you with this. In Luke 14, 27, he says this. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, 
You cannot be my disciple. Now, church, listen to this very carefully. One of the great problems today when we read the Bible is we tend to read it always in past tense context. Let me explain that. Jesus is teaching to a crowd that day, right? He's not died yet. He's not been on a cross yet. So when they hear him say, you need to pick up a cross, they're not going, you're right. Because after that cross, there's going to be a resurrection. That's not on their minds. That's not happened. And I remind you, the entire Hebrew community was looking for a king wearing a crown, not a naked dude on a cross. And I think sometimes that's our problem in Christianity. We like being marked, God, give me the crown. He said, there ain't no crown in this thing. There's a cross. See, that day when they're listening to Jesus teach, you know what they're hearing? They have no idea who he is, really. What they hear is a Roman form of torture. And I believe with all my heart that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to hear. He wasn't foreshadowing anything. He's helping them understand what it really means to be marked by God. People were beaten till they were unrecognizable. And then they would hang them on a cross where they would literally drown in their own blood. And the only way they could breathe is to push up, if they would, on a rope, on a nail, whatever it is. And most of the time their legs were broken as they're pushing. Because the goal was torture. And Jesus wants his hearers to hear that. I want you to do that. Now, there's a reason for it, and I don't want you to miss this. Because unless some of our patterns die, somewhere in the night, you're going to grab hold of it again. But when something's dead, you can't breathe life into it anymore. What is it in your life that God wants you to die to? What is it? See, if you don't get this, watch this. Your faith will only go as far as you're comfortable. If you don't get this, your faith will only go as far as it fits into your schedule. If you don't get this, your faith will only go as far as it makes you feel good. If you don't get this, your faith will only go as far as the world around you recognizes you. And you're going to do everything you can to not be different or stand out. And Jesus said, what? No greater love than this that you'd lay down your life. Jesus came to stand out, people. And he calls us to do the same. And there's some things in our lives that need to die. Need to die. What needs to die on the cross? Anger. Bitterness. Lust. Pride. Oh, well, well again, remember that 
What do we say about all these wonderful things? We always look at the negative. But see, getting God's fullness means dying to our unfaithfulness. Which, tithing, holding on to your money, (laughs) serving, holding on to your time, spending every morning in quiet time with God because you're holding on to your busyness. What needs to die that God knows? Because he wants to do something that'll blow your mind. And we're settling, we're comfortable, and yet he wants to do everything you can imagine and then beyond. Being marked, it's gonna cost you people. And Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciple, did you check the price? And are you willing to pay it? It's worth it. Billy Graham once said, you cannot serve the Lord Jesus and be alive to yourself at the same time. You just can't. I'm going to invite Ryan to come. I want to show you something, put it in perspective, especially with this whole theme of football. And I I don't want to make that the focus today, but go Cincinnati. I, uh, (laughs) I know. All the chief fans, no. <laughs> I'm going to a different church. <laughs> I want to show you this. What you're looking at here are three actual national championship rings. They're not knockoffs, they're not replicas. In 1983, The University of Miami played for the national championship at the University of Nebraska. Tom Osborne in a timeout said, we're going for two. Where are you going to win it or lose it? They went for two and lost it. This is the actual Miami national championship ring. 1997, Scott Frost at the helm won a national championship. It was shared with Michigan because we felt sorry for them. (laughs) this is the actual ring we're blessed to live in a city and I think somewhat like Christianity we grow numb to what we have and I think it happens within the church we don't even realize in our own city the most prolific successful program in all of sports is right here in this town called the Sioux Falls Storm no one's won more championships and success than them It's true, not even Tom Brady. We have a pastor out in Brandon named John Simchenko. He won four rings with them as an offensive center, and he gave me his fourth Pete ring. All of these were given to me as a gift. I don't wear them, and there's a reason why I did once. I think in my own way, because maybe you've been at an airport, have been at a restaurant, and you look over and there's somebody wearing a ring. And you know instantly, what's the story? Because there's something intrigued in our heart. It's like, wow, they won that. I'm not afraid to tell you is that I put the Miami one on. It's a little dear to me because I'm growing up in Nebraska and everybody remembers Turner Gill, Mike Rozier. The names are endless. And everybody thought... Everybody in Vegas was putting everything on Nebraska. It was a slam dunk. And Miami out of nowhere because their program was going nowhere. 
and it changed the entire world of Miami football. Each one of these was a gift given to me. So I wore that ring one time, and sure enough, somebody asked. And I think it was a way of God helping me, even with a message like this years to come later. Because I could have sat there and lied and said, well, you know, I was actually part of that Nebraska team that year. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> anyway, um, what was that? <laughs> I didn't. I looked and said, actually, it was a friend of mine gave this to me. He was an athletic director with them in Miami. And it led into an incredible story of conversation where I actually was able to tell that person about Jesus. But I say all this because these were gifts. I don't want a gift from God. I got that in Jesus. I want the ring because I was on the field for Jesus. I want to play the game. I don't want to sit in the stands and dream about what could have been when he called me to play for the greatest team of all time. That he's not only the coach, he's the management and he's the owner. The stadium was built by his hands. And the Bible says overwhelming victory is ours. I'm playing for a champion. I want the ring. I watched Tom Brady lose last week. And the whole time I'm watching the television, I'm like, God, I want to be Tom Brady. He loses the game and he walks across the field with cameras on him. He's hugging the opponents that beat them and he's talking and laughing and smiling and then later on he's in front of a bunch of cameras and people asking questions and some of those questions are sort of like, why did you do that and why did you do that and why did you do that? And I'm like, I want to be Tom Brady because regardless of what they think of me, regardless of what all the press is going to say, I played the game. I got to do what you didn't, win or lose. We're playing for Jesus, folks. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to sit in the church. I don't want to be church when it's convenient. I want on the field where he called me because he said, as the crowd was falling, he turned and said, you want to be my disciple? Because that's the only thing I want as a disciple. I don't have fans. I have followers devoted completely, and they're willing to lay it down for me. And the world needs that, people. The world needs that. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. And I'm just asking in the quietness of your heart right now, if you just say, God, I want to pay the price. I'm going to pay the price. God, I admit, I can't do it by myself. just can't do it. I need your help. Church, I want you to listen as I'm closing here. With your heads bowed, just with your heads bowed, just find a place. If you need to close your eyes, just listen to these words. Maybe you're at a place where you feel overwhelmed by what God's called you to do. Maybe you're like, I can't afford it. I mean, I've set my life up this way, and it... God, I, don't, I can't do this. I don't know how. You're at a great place. Maybe you're in a season where you didn't pay the price at one point and now it's more expensive when you think about paying for it now. See, I don't know where you're at, but here's what I do know. You're marked. And God has something for you to do. 
And the only way you're going to do it is you need God's help. If that's you right now, I'm just asking right now, would you just raise your hand right where you're at and say, God, I, I'm Mark, but I need you. I need your help. Would you, would you raise your hand? Just put it up. Lord, I want to thank you for every person who lifted their hand. I want to thank you for the ones who didn't. Maybe for some reason that isn't really the issue right now. I just thank you today, Lord, that they're not marked by their mistakes. They're not marked by their insecurities. They're not marked by their fear. They're not marked by their anxiety. They're not marked for their depression. They've been marked by the power of the living God that's meeting them right now, right here. God, I want to thank you for their boldness. I want to thank you in the mere raising of hand, they're dying to an insecurity. Those things that aren't like you. Those things that have come out more than they should. But God, right now, we receive the power of God. We receive the Holy Spirit. The same power that got you out of that grave is in this room right now. God, I speak against generational curses. I speak against fear. I speak against all those things that keep people bound. And I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that your spirit is allowing us to step forward in our mark, our calling. It's allowing us to step into your freedom. It's allowing us to step into your healing. Lord, we can't do this without you. There's no way. But no one loves the city of Sioux Falls and the cities in which we live and the surrounding areas and the people that don't know you more than you. And you marked us for such a time. God, the mistakes we've made, the things that have kept us back, the things that we know to change, I thank you right now that it's not in our own strength, but right now, in the power of God, we're stepping into the ability of who we really are and what you called us to be in Jesus. And Lord, I pray as we're doing business with you and being honest, that Lord, we're in our hearts right now hungering for the sheer fact that we won't be in the game. Who wouldn't? (laughs) We're already the overwhelming victors. We have Jesus as our coach. We have Jesus as our management. We have Jesus as our owner. He built the stadium. It's his name on it. (laughs) We're on the right team. God, I pray right now that in our hearts we're saying, God, show me. Show me how to get out of the stands and not be watching but in the game. Yeah, I'm going to lose some, but I'm never losing anything, really. I'm going to face odds, but those are all temporary because overwhelming victory is ours because we are bought by the blood of Jesus. You will not fail us. You will not forsake us. There's work to be done. The world needs to know that we are marked. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone says, amen. God bless. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.